en hartelike goeie morgen, welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelik saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, jy woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na jy woord, en Psalm 119, 105 sê, jy woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat om die waarheid te vind en licht te schijn op die vraag uit die skrifte waarmee ek en jy moendik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Share our passion for life on 657 AM 657 AM Dis waar jy ingeskakel is, 657 AM Hartelike goeiemorgen, dinsdag goeiemorgen 24 oktober Pastor Rocky Stevenson, good morning sir How are you keeping? Morning Benant, very well thank you by God's grace It's good to be here and good to once more have this awesome privilege with our listeners. Indeed it is, an awesome privilege, not our right, but a privilege that God grants us to speak freely in this country, to still open God's word and to dare say, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Hmm. That's what we do in this program. If you're struggling with anything, somewhere, somehow, somebody said something that just does not add up, that you're not quite sure, is it indeed in scriptures? I was uh, listening to somebody and we spoke about it some time ago uh, a certain so-called Christian uh, series uh, where the, 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 the actor who represents Jesus says just follow your heart just follow your heart and uh, some of you will know which we're talking about that is not the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that is not written in God's word mm. and it's so imperative that we search the scriptures to make sure if these things are so. Misschien kyk jy een christen reeks, misschien het jy een vraag uit die Bijbel uit, dis die program waarin jy dit stuur en jy stuur dit na 082-657-2729 Ek sien iemand net klaar, uh, anonieme uh, vraag ingestuur, welcome to stay anonymous, if you've got a question and uh, you want to stay anonymous by all means, just so noted that you want to stay anonymous and uh, we'll uh, tackle those questions as well, 082-657-2729 en dan die program is levendig op uh, YouTube, ons saai uit levendig op YouTube en op Facebook. Jy sal sien, daar sit Pastor Rocky voor die blauwe skerm. Rocky, if you would just wave at uh, everybody there at the camera, that's it, and uh, they can see you live on air. So, here we go. 0826572729. As jy uitgemis het op die uh, celnummer, moet nie bekommer, dier die loop van die program gaan ons om gereeld vir jou gee. Ina Mathie, gereelde luisteraar van Radio Kansel, baie dankie ook vir jou vraag. Uh, Rocky, she is posting a question. She says, Ephesians 4.29, please explain, uh, wat is die omstandighede, mag ons kwaard word, ons het toch amal emoties. Uh, baie dankie vir kostbare Bible study, uh, Rocky en Weiland. So, can we lose our temper? What is Ephesians 4? Maybe you should just read Ephesians 4.29 to give context to the question there. Yeah, um, so Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed, so that it will give grace to those who fear 
uh, sorry, to those who hear, <laughs> reading wrongly there. Um, now, in the ESV, it, it mentions, now I've just read the Legacy Standard Bible, but I think the ESV more has the wording that you know, is asking about where it says, as fits the occasion. The Legacy Standard says, building up what is needed. So as you think about what you speak, you actually use wording that fits the very occasion that you are using your words for. So it's not just about saying the right things, it's about saying the right things at the right time. That's even what has been spoken about in this. So that idea of fitting the occasion or according to the circumstances is this idea of emphasizing the importance of using discernment as well as wisdom in our speech and even being guarded even with with regard to our emotions how we would be emotional the bible also says be angry but do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger so that's another emphasis in regard to even something like anger that builds up in in us there is a righteous kind of an anger but when it comes to our speech we ought to guard our speech that the verse then begins there with urging believers to refrain from corrupt or harmful speech, any speech that would break down. That includes gossip or slander or any words that can actually damage others spiritually or even emotionally in that sense. And then building one another up, there's this idea of actually using cement and, and using words that would actually build a person up, yeah. that would work in, in actually uh, causing them to become even more, more mature in Christ. It would be words that would make them more like the Lord Jesus, words that would make them want to be more like him, that would edify them, strengthen fellow believers in their journey in Christ. And that would be then to have our words be biblical kind of a words, because our words um, need to mirror that which, this, which the scriptures even teach. And that idea of fitting the occasion highlights the need for the discernment that we have when it comes to God's with what with the God that we have over our mouth, and it means that our speech should be appropriate for the occasion. And I think that that's the emphasis that we see in this verse. It's not just simply saying good words, but it's saying good words that are fitting words, words that fit what we what we have. And I do think sometimes a Christian can even learn from this because you might say something that is true but not necessarily something that should have been said at that moment. And so that's part of what this emphasis is. We should choose words carefully, considering the context and the emotions that are involved and then and the needs of the person that we are communicating to. We, we should be applying that golden rule of the Bible, do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. We ought to have that kind of a... Um, desire to or or that mentality that says let me think of myself as though i'm the other person what would i like to have said to me at a moment like this what would build me up what would draw me more towards the lord jesus and even this idea of an emotional emotional responses while we are emotional beings and we don't deny that even as ina has has asked us this we emotional beings and we might experience anger or even strong emotions the verse reminds us that we are to manage our emotions in a way that aligns with Christ, our Lord's teachings. Sometimes it may be better to not say anything at all. And that's one of the reasons that the Lord has given us a brain and he's given us thoughts. God knows our thoughts. Satan doesn't even know our thoughts. God's word even knows. He, he's the one that is able to discern the thoughts of the inner man. But once we open our mouth, that's sometimes where the danger comes in. And sometimes it would be better to say, I'm not going to say anything. 
and actually to not be pressured by somebody to say something when you haven't yet controlled yourself. Am I sinning then for the thought that's in my heart? Sometimes we might be. Sometimes <laughs> our, our, our heart and our thoughts in the heart can be sinful because remember the Lord Jesus yeah. told us that if we, even if we look with lust in, at a woman in our hearts, we've committed adultery. Even right. if we in our hearts say this is this, we have anger in our yeah. hearts, we've committed murder. Yeah. And that's what he teaches us in his Sermon on the Mount. So we can be sinning against the Lord, but we need to have self-control. So we need to rein ourselves in. That idea of having reins for a wild horse is what we ought to think about with regard to reining ourselves in and controlling ourselves. And that is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And that self-control is seen in the most wonderful way with the mouth. Or the lack of self-control is seen in the most horrendous way through a lack of what we say with our mouth. You know, sometimes you might even be quite calm, cool, collected until you open your mouth and then there's trouble. And so Christ teaches us that we are to guard the the, the mouth. And also the Bible says that what comes out of the mouth reflects what's actually in the heart. You see, so what comes out of the mouth is a gateway to see what's really inside of you. We can guard the gate of the eyes and the ears, the the ear gate, the eye gate. C.S. Lewis used language like this, um, guarding the eye gate and the ear gate. But the mouth gate is a gate that shows what's actually inside of the heart. Usually we can control the input to the heart by what we control with the eye gate, the ear gate. But when we have that in the heart... That comes out with the mouth. And so we are to be a people that reflect God's grace through the way that we speak. And that's the ultimate goal of our speech as Christians is to reflect God's grace. Even in challenging circumstances, we to convey grace. Our words should reflect God's grace, his kindness, his love, and regardless of even our emotional state. So that's really the summary of Ephesians 4.29. Right. Ina, I hope that makes sense to you and that you, uh, well, will search the scriptures with us. Listening to us is one thing. Acts 17.11 says, now search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Right. You tune to Scriptural, Scriptielik, tot en met 12 uur vandag. Pastor Rocky Stevenson, saam met my in die atelier. En uh, jy stier jou vraag in 026572729. Going for Annieke. Annieke het vir ons een vraag gestuur. 1 Korintiërs 15, 45. 1 Korintiërs 15, verse 45. Uh, asking about the second Adam. How are we to understand it? What is meant by the second Adam? Would you like to tackle that one for us, uh, Rocky? Yeah, sure. So there's, um, now, the, the scriptures teach us about the first Adam, but then the scriptures also teach us about the second Adam. And the second Adam is our Lord Jesus Christ. When it speaks about the second Adam, he is not like anybody, you know, he is himself the perf- a perfect man. Our Lord Jesus was born in perfection like, but he's, he's unlike the first Adam in that the first Adam was created. Our Lord Jesus is, is eternal God, but he was born in the likeness of man, took on flesh, and came and he dwelt amongst us. But we know that our Lord Jesus was born of the virgin birth. He is the fulfillment of the Genesis 3.15 promise that one day the seed of Eve would come and would be the Messiah. And so this is what we see with regard to the second Adam. First Corinthians 15.45, this is the verse that has been asked about. It says this, So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life 
life-giving spirit. Now, our Lord Jesus is the one that has given life to all mankind. He's unlike the first Adam in being becoming a living soul. Our Lord Jesus is the one who becomes a life-giving spirit. Why? Because everybody born in the lineage of Adam has been born into death because of what Romans 5 teaches us. So, because of the first Adam... We have all sinned like the first Adam, but we need the second Adam to actually be brought to life. We are born again by nobody other than that second Adam. So Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. There there is some theological debate as to whether there will be a third Adam, and people talk of the third Adam being the Antichrist. I'm not really with that uh, too much, but the second yeah. Adam being being our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase then signifies Jesus' role in the fulfillment of humanity's hope and the remedy of the consequences of the sin of the first Adam, where the first Adam had brought about death, the second Adam, through his death, has brought about life because he rose from the dead victorious. So the first Adam, as described in Genesis, brought sin and death into the world. However, Jesus, the second Adam, brought life and redemption through his sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. By drawing this parallel, then Paul emphasizes this transformative power of Christ's work, bringing spiritual life to all those that would believe in him. And then this this concept then underscores the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in the divine plan of salvation and, and restoration. Jesus brings this about, aligning then with this um, marvelous view of what Paul has said in the scriptures. So what a wonderful concept it is thinking about the second Adam, where the first Adam brought death, the second Adam brings life. Where the first Adam became a living being, our Lord Jesus has always been. He's the one that actually made Adam in the first place. It is by the word that that the whole world exists. And Colossians 1 teaches us about the preeminence of Christ. All things have been created in him and through him and by him. So therefore, the second Adam is a life-giving Adam in yeah. that sense. Yeah, and uh, also understanding that's how God intended it from the word go for the first Adam. And uh, yeah, well, as they say, the rest is history. Ans Burger, volgel aan die beerd. Ans, baie dankie ook vir jou vraag. Uh, Rocky, you need to help me out on this. Ans says there, good morning, sirs, in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Most of the following verses started with, then God says, all the way up to the seventh day's rest. And then she goes to Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth. She mentions verse 8, 9, 14, 15. And then in Genesis, she says, the Lord, capital letters, speaks to Cain. What is the significance of this difference, uh, this different reference to God's title? Or mm. am I just reading it wrong? What are we answering uh, with that one? Yes, yes. Um, it, it's a good, it's w- well done on picking up just the different titles of the Lord in, in these sections. And there is obviously some massive reason why God would give different titles. In Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 14, verse 15, etc. Then in Genesis uh, the the Lord speaks to Cain, and you've got a different capitalized Lord in that sense. Now, the Legacy Standard Bible, I 
which I use and I preach from and I, I find to be such a marvelous version of the New Testament, uh, actually of the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, uses whenever there's the capitalized Lord, it speaks of Yahweh because that's the actual name that we see there. The King James would use the word Jehovah and Jehovah would be the putting together of Adonai and Yahweh. And that's because the Jew would often not want to use and reference the name Yahweh. Yeah. But that's the actual word that is there is Yahweh. And um, and so, and, and not to confuse that Adonai, Yahweh, that's taking the, the, the consonants of the word Yahweh and then putting in the vowels of Adonai to make Jehovah, because that's the way that that word has been put together. Now, when when we see the significance of the different references of God's title, we, we can see that there's different wording that actually gets used. In Genesis 1, the different titles used for God are Elohim in the initial chapters and then Yahweh in Genesis 2 verse 7 and chapter 2 verse 8 and that reflects the different aspects of God's nature and his relationship with humanity. Elohim emphasizes God's power and his creativity as the creator of the universe. When Yahweh is introduced it is in a specific instance it it often denotes his personal covenantal relationship with his people. For example, in Genesis 2 verse 7, Yahweh is used to highlight God's intimate involvement in forming Adam because he has this relationship with Adam. And so that's why Yahweh is then emphasized in Genesis 2 verse 7. He has this personal connection between God and humanity that is shown through the usage of Yahweh. And the usage of different titles signifies also the multifaceted nature of God, showing his, his authority as well as his closeness to creation. To emphasize this um, in, a, in a way that maybe helps to illustrate this, I am Rocky, son of Shannon. I'm Rocky, the father of Levi and Simeon. I'm Rocky, the husband of Maxine. I'm also Rocky, the pastor of Benoni Bible Church. So the same person has different functions in that sense. But with God, the different names emphasize the different areas of his character. Same God, different titles for God, emphasizing different aspects of his character. So I hope that helps with explaining that. All right. Thank you so much, Anse. Wip de dit maak sin. Baie dankie dan ook vir die vraag waar jy vir ons ingestuur het. If you've got a question, you're welcome to send it in. 0826572729. Sometimes you might feel we're skipping you over. No. No, we're not. We, uh, well, we make a plan that we get all the questions in and, uh, then we work through them. Daar lê ook a December maand voor en van die vraag wat een bykie meer studieverg, uh, is ons ook dan bezig om aan te werk vir December, vir wanneer ons nie levendig in die atelier is nie. Sophie Conradi, very interesting one, sy praat oor val in die heilige geest. Met ander woorde, soos wanneer mense aangeraak word en omval, of is dit opsweperei? What are we to make of this? Do we even find it in God's word? And uh, we see it a lot in the charismatic churches. Uh, Rocky, uh, mm. the question remains, is it scriptural? Do we find it in God's word? And what does the word say with regards to this? Yeah, so this this is often, I think, in, in English spoken about as being slain in the spirit. That's kind of the terminology that I know a lot of people use that idea. Um, and and the Holy Scriptures 
depict the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in diverse ways throughout the New Testament, but we never see this concept of slain in the Spirit like what we see in the modern movements. Actually, since the 1900s, 1920, that's when we've started to see this kind of this new phenomenon. So we don't um, know who started it. And, and actually, when we look at the phenomenon, we, we can trace it back to Eastern mysticism. And we start to see that gurus and various people with what is called kundalini have actually embraced these type of a concepts. And there's almost like a, a hypnotism that takes place and even a mass hypnotism that takes place. And now that is been brought in the, the some of these eastern mysticism kind of uh, practices has been now brought in and imported into christianity and this is now taken on christian terminology like slain in the spirit you've now been basically uh, sent into a semi-comatosed state because the holy spirit did that to you we don't see this within the scriptures so let me put that like very plainly but the holy scriptures also um, do show us profound reverence when the Holy Spirit has come upon an individual. We see awe. We see keen awareness of God's presence. We see reverence that even might, that, that might even show a falling down, but a falling down on one's face. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of John in the book of Revelation. Yes, Revelation one seventeen. That's yeah. exactly what, where I'm going with that answer. Oh, it's exactly right. where you're thinking. Revelation one seventeen says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not fear. I am the first and the last. So he says, like a dead man, he's still awake. He's still yeah. able to hear what the Lord says to him. And he's fallen on his face before him in absolute reverence of who God is. Now, the closest that we would get to something like what we see of this idea of slain in the spirit would go back to Daniel chapter 10, verse 9 to 11, where it says this, But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face. And my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, son of uh, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to speak to you and stand upright, for I have for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken the words to me, I stood up trembling. So there we have somebody like Daniel, but he's the prophet at that time. And he falls on his face. He falls asleep on his face. God, as it were, touches him. He's touched and he gets onto his hands and to his knees and he's shaky on his hands and knees. Yeah, yeah. And he said, okay, well, stand up now. And that's kind of the closest we ever get to something like this. But again, it's on his face. It's not falling backwards yeah. into some semi-comatose state. In Acts 10, verse 44 to 48, where we see while Peter is speaking to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the word. And all the the circumcision or the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured onto the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues. Now remember that in Acts chapter 2, we have the speaking in tongues that happened with the Jewish believers, those that were actually of the seed of Abraham, and even some of those that were proselyte believers that were still Jews by religion, because you have Jews by birth and Jews by religion, that's who would have been there with the Pentecost, and those are the ones that received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues, as 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 we see in Acts 2, were known languages of yeah. people that had come to Jerusalem, and they started to hear the gospel in their own language. 
And some begin to mock and say, oh, but they filled with some kind of a, they drunk. Yeah. And Peter gets up, he says, these men aren't drunk like you suppose. And he preaches the gospel and 3,000 souls are added to the number of the church that day. And here in Acts 10, we have again these Gentiles coming to saving faith. And the same thing that happened in Acts 2 begins to happen with these Gentiles. Yeah. And those circumcised believers that are there, that are of the circumcision in that sense, they were once Jews, but now they're believers. They look at this and they go, wow, the Gentiles are even getting saved. But even here, if ever there was a time for the slain in the spirit, surely you'd think it would be here with Cornelius. Yeah, yeah. But we don't see that. We see something different. And then we see verse 47. He says, can, can anyone refuse water for those that have been baptized? to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of the of Jesus Christ then they asked him to remain a few days so we see actually the baptism becoming that first step of obedience as a result of having received the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius's household as Peter preaches demonstrating the Spirit's arrival so it's crucial to note then from this biblical falling of the Holy Spirit upon mankind doesn't cause this idea that we've mentioned regarding this kundalini kind of an idea of yeah. falling backwards into some kind of a comatosed um, state. And the Bible's, the biblical experiences are rooted in genuine senses of awe, submission to God's word and his presence, and a manifestation of the spiritual gift. Because we, when we are born again, we ourselves have gifts by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the body of Christ. And that's what we see as evidence of being born again, not some kind of a other uh, thing. Rocky, there's even division where, you know, churches arguing, debating whether you fell f- or fall forward or falling backwards. Uh, but still, as you say, it is, it is not, it is not found in no. God's word. There's no instruction no. for that and, and one yeah. should be aware of that. The closest thing that I can actually liken it to, and we did a question on this not long ago, I believe we did one, um, on hypnotism where somebody mm-hmm. was asking about, you know, hypnotherapy, I think, yeah. was the yeah, question. Yeah. And the closest that I can really see with this, if you go and see what hypnotists do, yeah. that's what we start to see in some of these things where your emotions are so hyped up. Yeah, yeah. And this individual, and, and I believe even it may be of, of demonic origin as well. There's also, and I, I'm not going to push it much further, but there's also the laughing uncontrollably and and, and, and yes. say, yes, this is the joy of the Lord. But we don't find that no, in Scripture. Not at all. Not uncontrollable all. laughing. And actually and, just goes opposite to the biblical order that we are called towards yeah. and starts to make a mockery of Christianity as well. All right. All right. Okay, moving on from that one, Sophie, I hope uh, that uh, answers your question. Conrad, you up next. Morning, brothers in Christ, please. Rocky, if you can just go to, I think it's 1 Peter three nineteen and 20. 1 Peter three nineteen and 20. And then he simply says, what does Peter mean by these verses? How do we answer uh, mm. Conrad with it? Yeah, 1 Peter 3 verse 19 to 20 has actually been a passage of much, con, um, let's say, much conversation. Uh, there's been various opinions to this, but let me read it. This, this is also repeated in the book of Jude as well. But 1 Peter three nineteen to 20 says, In which also he, w- he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God wa- kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So it's quite a um, 
definitely a passage that has had much conversation on it, even theologically. But Peter speaks about Christ preaching to the spirits in prison. And this passage has been interpreted in different ways throughout history. One interpretation aligns with the traditional view that Christ, after his death, and this is the view that I would hold to, descended into Hades to proclaim victory to the imprisoned spirits who had rebelled in the days of Noah. Remember that Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. I think it's difficult for us to actually even conceive of what the world was like at that time. But people were living up until a thousand years. Noah's grandfather was alive at the same time that Adam was still alive. So that's quite a concept to think about. And they were speaking one language and they were evil on the earth. And Noah, for 120 years, was a preacher of righteousness. It's the only place in the Bible where it says God regretted making mankind, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 He, wow. he He did indeed. And and he saves these eight people through the the ark, and that's the one way. And you have even that symbolry in the sense that, that God is the one who shut the door, and God is the one that sealed the door. Yeah. And there was one door into the ark, and there's such something of a picture of the grace that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to escape the wrath of God. But this proclamation serves as a declaration of his triumph over sin and his triumph over death. It emphasizes the universality of Christ's redemptive work. And that's this victory preaching. See, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. These people ignored Noah's preaching. But now Jesus comes and he declares to them, I am victorious. I am the grand fulfillment of that ark incident that Noah was busy preaching about, which you ignored. And he preaches his triumph over these these imprisoned souls, those souls. And that's why hell itself right now is not the lake of fire. Hell is, as the New Testament refers to it as, hell Gehenna. And that hell is a waiting room hell that awaits for that final judgment, the great white throne judgment of Christ, as he then casts the devil along with all of his demonic horde, which is a third of heaven's angels that followed Satan, into the lake of fire, which has been prepared before and for them. So right now, Satan's not in hell. Satan's on earth, along with most of his demonic horde. There are some that Peter speaks about, as well as Jude speaks about, that are in chains and that are currently because of even that time of Noah's time. So Peter and Jude actually speak about that time of Noah's time and even go back to to Genesis chapter 6. And there's, you know, there's a lot of theological debate on such as the, the Nephilim that were around oh, in that right. day and the sons of God, were, you know, or the sons of God came into the daughters of man. And there's much controversy even regarding some of those interpretation. But, but here we have the Lord Jesus preaching to them. Another interpretation that has been quite popular is suggests that this passage just metaphorically illustrates Christ's preaching through Noah. So what, what that perspective takes is it says that, that Jesus was the one preaching when Noah was preaching back in Genesis chapter 6. And so it says this passage just speaks about that metaphorical happening. I don't think that that is the greatest interpretation of this, but there is a lot that there's a lot of people that hold to that and say that actually what Jesus did at the cross was at that same time and through his death and resurrection, he was the one preaching through Noah at at the time before in in Genesis 6. So then who in obedience to God then warned the people during his time of the impending judgment. In that view, uh, Christ's proclamation 
happened through Noah's preaching, signifying God's patience and his mercy in the face of human rebellion. So it's essential then to approach a passage like this with reverence and careful consideration, respecting different interpretations, because there's been quite a lot of different interpretations of this. But I do believe in the literal interpretation of this that would 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 emphasize that Jesus would go and actually preach victory. Where I would be careful, and that's where there is um, some again, that will say that Jesus went to suffer in hell. That is not biblical at all. And there is some, and that's taken from a little bit of the apocryphal kind of writings, where there's this idea that Jesus actually, his suffering wasn't just at the cross, which would then go against what he said of, it is finished. Jesus didn't go to suffer in hell. He went to proclaim to these prisoners in hell his his, um, victory, over the grave and the fact that he is the one that that was sent. So what does this mean for us? And why does Peter even write this for us? Um, It is to emphasize the victory that Jesus has over sin and over death. Because this isn't specifically for those people, you know, those people that are prisoners in hell because they've ignored Noah. This was written for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why? It's so that we would be assured that Jesus has absolute victory over sin and death. Christ's descent into Hades signifies his triumph over sin and over death. And his proclamation to the spirits in prison illustrates the universal power of his redemption, extending even to those who rebelled in Noah's time. So his death at the cross goes even further back than Noah. It goes from Adam all the way to now. That's the the conquering power of the Lord Jesus. That means also that those saints that were saved in the Old Testament, men such as Enoch, who walked with God and were no more, or was no more, found their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his work at the cross extends far beyond even um, what we find in the Old Testament. And then God's patience and his mercy, because God's patience, his patience with the people in Noah's day, shows us a wonderful, beautiful picture of God's patience even in our day. He's patient with man. He doesn't long that anybody would be would, would go to hell. He wanted those people to repent of their sin. For that 120 years, while Noah was preaching, God wanted those people to turn to him and respond to him. So that's the call then for us. How are we responding to this grace, this marvelous grace of God that is on display for us in Jesus? Will we harden our hearts like those people did? Or will we soften our hearts and believe God? Because what would it take for those people to actually enter the ark? They would have needed to believe (laughs) that actually God's going to send a flood. And so for, for us, what is the warning? There's a flood coming. Not a flood like that. The world will be destroyed by fire. We will all have to give an account before God one day. There is a time coming that you will see Jesus. How are you going to be treated by Jesus? How are you treating Jesus even now? God is patient and he's merciful. And then the importance of repentance and faith is is seen in a passage like this. We need to repent. We need to believe. And then the obedience to God's command. God told them, come into the ark, but they refuse. They don't want to go God's way. So that's part of what we see from a passage like this. Right, uh, Conrad, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Interesting question. And if you've got a question, you can send it through to us. 0826572032. 
0862-657-2729. We literally, can you believe it, just got about, uh, what is it, the nine minutes, ten minutes left in this program. Not much time left. And uh, let's just move on. I know Ikasa says we've got to play music as well, but we known as talk radio. So Stira Dierfors Nillach 2627279. Our next listener also asked to be anonymous. It says, please explain Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3, 4, and 7. Did the Apostle Paul foretold here the great apostasy? Apostasy, did he see errors creeping into the church, false doctrine, purgatory, etc.? The apocryphal books added to the Bible, veneration of the dead saints. And I was just thinking on that, reading that, uh, what is it, day before yesterday? Uh, in Mexico, they celebrating the, what is it, of the dead, the uh, a feast of the dead, a whole nation doing that. It's absolutely Oof. frightening times that we live in. And uh, Martin Luther, the WhatsApp continues, leading the church from darkness to uh, to uh, propriety, uh, was this what the Apostle Paul had to deal with in his day and age? How do we answer the listener? Yeah, um, I've actually not too long ago preached through Second Thessalonians. So one of the things I would encourage is go have a look on Sermon Audio or look on our YouTube page for Benoni Bible Church, and you can search for Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3 to 4, and even verse 7. And I've done an exposition on this not long ago. but um, So that would explain it even better than what I would in these few moments even now. But let me read those passages, Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3 to 4 and 7. It says this, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it has not yet come unless the apostasy comes first now what are we talking about when we when we when he says here for it has not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the sanctuary of god exhibiting himself as being god so that's verse 3 and 4, and then verse 7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So this is speaking about a time, and verse 2 says this, because we need to see what is he talking about when it says, For it has not yet come. Because that's what Paul is busy addressing when he speaks about this apostasy that must come first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. There's two events that Paul is speaking about. This, This apostasy, which is termed as the great apostasy and he's talking about the man of lawlessness being revealed. Is that that the same as in in the book of Matthew where it speaks about the great falling away? Yes, the the great falling away, yes. And this is speaking in particular about this major event. Now, there is smaller events of apostasy that happen, but he's speaking about the great apostasy and he's talking about the man of lawlessness being revealed. That is the Antichrist. And then in verse 7, we see that he's speaking about this mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So there are these smaller forms of apostasy that happen. But he speaks about the restrainer. Now we know that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit yeah, that abides so. within the church. Yeah. So there's something that happens called the day of the Lord. If you look at verse 2, it says, and he writes this in Second Thessalonians because the context is that they had begun to believe, and this was six months after the writing of First Thessalonians, they'd begun to believe that the day of the Lord had come. That 
that the rapture had happened and that now they were inside of Daniel's 70th week, which is the seven-year tribulation. That is what is referred to as the day of the Lord. And so they were starting to freak out because now suddenly they're in the great tribulation. And so this is what he says. Now we ask you, brothers, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying in Second Thessalonians 2.1? I'm speaking about the regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Speaking about the rapture. He's speaking about the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering ourselves to him. He says, that you not be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed, whether by a spirit or a word or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. What's he saying? I'm talking to you about us being gathered to Jesus, our coming of the Lord Jesus. Don't let anybody, by a spirit or by a word or by a letter, even as though they're trying to pretend to be us, the apostles, saying to you that the day of the Lord has already come. He's busy writing to the church saying, we're not yet in the great tribulation. So then, the context of what he's talking about in regard to this apostasy is speaking about that great apostasy that's coming one day and saying, don't be worried about this. This only happens once the rapture has happened, once you're gathered because you are not destined for wrath. You carry on being Christians in your day. Don't you worry too much about uh, we're suddenly in the great tribulation. Don't you worry about this because we know what that's going to look like. Why will there be a great apostasy once the rapture has happened? Well, because the church is filled with people that are some saved people and some unsaved people. But when the saved people are raptured, when the Holy Spirit is taken with the church, which is the restrainer, what is it that restrains the lawless one right now? What is it that keeps the Antichrist from revealing himself? It is the restrainer, the Holy Spirit. When the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is raptured and taken from this world because we are not destined for wrath, that's when the day of the Lord begins, which is the seven-year tribulation period. And with the beginning of that seven-year tribulation period, there is the great apostasy. Why? Because everybody that actually is not truly saved within the churches, let's say the, the local churches around the world, where there's people that pretend to be Christians that are not, they suddenly turn their back in one foul swoop, and that sets the stage for the revealing of the Antichrist. Rocky, I know the Scripture says it's not for us to know the times and the appointed times, and when will this be, but do you believe we are close? Yeah, I I think that we are. Um, You know, we're definitely one day closer today than what we were yesterday, (laughs) but it's something that I have said to our church before as well, is that we do get quite... um, anxious sometimes about these things and it could be that the lord only raptures his church in a thousand years time how are we going to live now with that and we should live as christians with the imminent return of the lord jesus in our mind that he could come back right now he could come back as we speak um on radio pulpit at this moment we could be raptured and he could come back tomorrow But he also could come back in a thousand years' time, and that is part of the point of what Paul is writing in Thessalonians. He gets them back to work. He says, you guys get back to this. He actually even speaks about those that that are busybodies, that are busy not doing any work because they're so 
they believe that the rapture is coming so quickly that they're not even busy in their world working, yeah. etc. Yeah. And notice that when we get too distracted with these things and we start to now number everything, we lose, and we, start to, we lose our focus about simply being a witness to the Lord Jesus in our day. There's many souls that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And we should be busy with the Great Commission work that the Lord has called us towards. And that's part of the point of Second Thessalonians. Seven minutes to go. Then we have to greet you. Can you believe it's the fastest hour of my life every Tuesday? Are you rebirthed? Are you reborn? Can you testify to that? Uh, Donnie Butter said the other day, whether it's the first batch or the second batch, the rapture or whatever the case, I just want to be ready when the Lord Jesus comes. We'll be back with some more of your questions right right after this. 6.57 a.m. Mm, what an incredible song. Uh, this is Kies Kreinert. God will send his angels. Not much time left. Kom eens kyk gauw of ons nog een naamloose een kan inkry. Ek lees om in Afrikaans. Ek glo as ouwer gee ek my volwasse getrouwde kinders pasie en hulle keier net op uitnodiging. Nou ontdek ek dat ek nummer 1 glad nie genooi word nie, nummer 2 glad nie gekontak word nie, ek word nie gekeier nie, net die kleinkinders is gereeld by my. Uh, dit breek my hart, ek huil myself menigte daar in die slaap. Hoe gemaak, wat sê die Bijbel omtrent zulke situaties? Do we find something like that in God's word? What advice do we give this listener? Yeah, f- firstly, I would just say so sorry to read about your pain that you're experiencing due to the situation uh, with your adult married children. The family dynamics can be so incredibly complex and even emotionally challenging and you know, I mean, I have my own family stuff. Vaynand will have his own family stuff. All of us in this world are so broken. You know, we oftentimes experience death in different ways, you know, because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. True healing actually only is possible through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the only hope that we actually have in this world, that we have a risen Savior. And he's in this world today. And he's the only one that can bring about any form of healing, even between broken relationships. So while the Bible doesn't provide specific instruction for every single family situation, and we don't really know the full ins and outs of the situation, it does offer a couple of principles that do help us. The one is obviously the honoring. Uh, When you speak about honoring independence, there is also the honoring of parents that we do see where where even adult children are to to honor their parents uh, as to the Lord, because this is something that we see even in Timothy that is encouraged with regard to looking after the widow, for example. But Ephesians 6 verse 2 to 3 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's an honoring that that the adult children should still have towards mom and dad in that sense. uh, But they wouldn't know about that. Now, 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 that's where I think that there are sometimes consequences of the ways that we've raised our children at times. Sometimes we have shipped them out and not taken responsibility for them like we ought to have. As parents, we've thought, well, the school must look after their education. The Sunday school teacher must look after their their biblical education. And all we need to do is give them food and water. Now, I'm not saying that that is the, the case, but sometimes we need to repent of some of the ways that we have been in the past. But then communication and reconciliation, we want to foster that. We want to be able to have clear conversation with our with our children and i do think that you could 
possibly take a child out, maybe even write a letter. Think about what you've written. Think about it um, biblically. You want to be biblically sound. Get some advice from your pastor or from an elder in the church. And then maybe just sit down with your daughter or your son and just read the letter with a normal tone, you know, thinking about how, how they might respond to that. One of the other areas that I would even just, in, in closing, because we're running out of time here, and this is my favorite, one of my very favorite passages in all the Bible, and we've used it in Scriftilic many times, prayer. You know, Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, including this situation. Be yeah. anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so so there's some few areas just in these brief moments to encourage your heart. Go to the Lord in prayer. He already knows your heart. And may the Lord bless you with that. Well, uh, 12 o'clock, latest news read uh, by Sibong Gilliam of King, ready to take over from us. Rocky, somebody wants to write your email. Where do they get hold of You're you? You're welcome to do that at pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za. Time has run out of, on us. Uh, Till next time, all that's left to say is keep well, God bless you, and shalom.